The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. Alrighty, I am joined today by, of course, Erica, who's not in her closet today. That's a nice little <laughs> change of pace for you, Erica. I'm taking advantage of the nice conference rooms at work today. Yeah, why don't we record all these on Mondays where I don't have to look at your dirty clothes while we're talking? <laughs> Is it that bad? Because <laughs> right now my boss doesn't know I'm in here, Bob. Oh, <laughs> very good, very good. Uh, and we are joined uh, by Mike Brown, the host of the Dark Poutine Podcast. How are you doing, Mike? I am doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. And just based on the podcast title, I'm sure you all figured out that Mike is, in fact, Canadian. Yes. <laughs> and as a lover of poutine. Uh, I want to know where did the where did the title of this uh, of the podcast come from? Is there a significance to dark poutine? Absolutely, there is. Uh, I was uh, trying to figure out. I wanted to do a true crime podcast, and and being Canadian, uh, there aren't a lot of uh, Canadian stories out there. Christie was already doing that, uh, but I wanted to cover some more obscure Canadian cases, kind of thing. So. Obviously, Christy already had the Canadian True Crime podcast, so I thought, well, I can't do that. Uh, so what else is what else is Canadian? <laughs> and I thought, well, I want to serve people something kind of heavy, uh-huh. you know, kind of heavy and uh, uh, a little bit cheesy, <laughs> you know, like we got to have some cheese uh, a, a little bit, you know. Okay, I'm following and I'm tracking. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly, and a little messy. So uh, uh-huh. that's where dark poutine comes from. So that's fantastic. What a great, <laughs> what a great idea for a name. Very thought out. Also for a delicious treat. If any of you have never had poutine, uh, it is it is French fries and cheese and gravy. Yeah, or as they call it, when I was in, um, I was touring in the UK a couple of years ago, and the way our tour schedule was set up, everywhere I had to go to speak, we'd like roll into town go to the event center, get everything set up, do the show, and then we'd be done at 11 o'clock at night and try to find something to eat. And the only places you could find to eat were like this, the kebab shops and stuff, the the and all the like late night places. And the British people that we were with always said, let's go get some cheesy chips and gravy, they called it. <laughs> None of the, nobody called it poutine there. They just called it cheesy chips and gravy. And I ate it every single night when I was in the UK. There you go. There is Mm -hmm. something important about poutine. You have to have cheese curds. Uh, It it can't be just like regular cheese, cheese curds, and they have to be Mm -hmm. squeaky when you bite into them. The squeakier, the better. I'm getting hungry. (laughs) Yeah. See, now, I personally, when I get my cheese curds, we we used to drive up through Wisconsin to go to a hunting camp in the Upper Peninsula, almost in Canada, uh, Mm -hmm. years ago. And we would always stop in Wisconsin on the way up there and get fresh cheese curds. And I was the one, one of the guys that, so for people, listen, if you don't know your cheese curds, folks, listen up. If you get fresh cheese curds, they squeak like Mike's talking about. Yeah. They literally will squeak against your teeth. What makes a cheese curd fresh, Bob? I mean, like they just finished making it. Okay. Yeah. I'm like inherently, <laughs> I think they're not fresh, but oh, I, see, get, I get here, your point. I get your point. 
<laughs> well, this is uh, Mike. We need to educate Eric on what a cheese curd is. It's not an old like I, th- I feel cheese like you is think all old. It's all old and curdled old. up. Listen, when they make cheese, it it's curdled milk and it becomes these curds, and then right. they uh-huh. smash it together to make the blocks of cheese that you. Uh-huh. And so a cheese curd is actually fresher than a block of cheese. That's correct. It's not an old curdled up piece of cheese. God, she's such a dimwit. It's really hard. (laughs) Oh, dear. I'll just keep us limping along. (laughs) But but when you get them, when they're like still warm, like they're just, they just put them out like at the, at the cheese factory. Uh, They're, they're very squeaky. And then after you refrigerate them for a while, then they harden up a little bit more and they become less squeaky, which is the way I like to eat a cheese curd, unless it's in poutine. And that's a whole different thing. In the UK, where they do cheesy chips and gravy, it's not nearly as elegant. They throw French fries down and they pour brown gravy all over it. And then they take a handful of just shredded yellow cheese and just dump it on top. And that's <laughs> that's your cheesy chips and gravy. Well, good for late night stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Post club. Yeah, it was yes. like that or fish and chips. That's all you could get in Scotland <laughs> or northern UK at 11 o'clock at night at all the kebab places. Mike, I'm trying to tell if this is a camera angle or if you have the biggest pop filter I've ever seen in my life on your <laughs> microphone. So, so what I have, it's uh, called a Chaotica Eyeball. And Tyler from Minds of Madness got me hooked on this. It's, my room isn't treated very well. Uh-huh. Uh, and essentially what it does is it captures. It's a it's an SM7B with this big eyeball on it so it is gigantic <laughs> is it because it looks like the size of a from the, as close as it's it is like the, the camera Death Star. yeah it looks yeah. like the size of a basketball that you're talking it, into. yeah yeah <laughs> this is why i don't do video podcasts so when i do video <laughs> when i do video i use something a little smaller so yeah, yeah. right yeah yeah no i like it but it's like right there by the camera and it look the perspective is ridiculous i'll, yeah, have, to, I'm just... I'll have to share a screenshot of this uh with, yeah. the, with the folks when the episode comes out so they can see how crazy that looks so mike you are obviously canadian you're born in halifax and mm-hmm. uh you're currently in in surrey is, is that right surrey british yep. columbia surrey yeah uh, just it's a suburb of Vancouver. It's actually the fastest growing city, according to some uh, in Canada right now. So uh, Surrey is quite large. It has a real uh, long history of true crime as well, um, which is, you know, kind of uh, interesting. Uh, there's Great been if you're some a true crime podcaster. Yes. Interesting. Uh, I don't talk about uh, organized crime on my podcast for mm-hmm. uh, a big reason that yeah. there's a, a clubhouse of certain uh, motorcycle enthusiasts very close to where I live. Mm-hmm. So were I to talk about that kind of thing, maybe uh, not the best idea for me. Oh yeah. I feel yeah. I have with truth and justice. I have two rules. I don't do local cases because mm-hmm. I don't want, um, to go after people that live in my backyard and I don't do organized crime because I yep. had, yeah. I had uh innocence project of Texas brought me a case at one point and they were like, this is it. And we just need to just to find one little last piece of information. We think we know who it is. We mm-hmm. think it's the, it's the drug cartel. And I said, you're out of your mind. If you <laughs> yeah. think I'm going to go on the radio and talk about the drug cartels and, and how I think they committed these murders. You right. Lost your mind. <laughs> no way. Absolutely not. So it says your your background is in film. What did you do in film before this? 
Oh my gosh. Well, I started in acting actually. I went to Vancouver Film School and uh I took acting there uh full time and uh, graduated, I believe in 1995. That kind of dates myself, but um I never really got anywhere with that. You know, I did some commercials, I did some background work and and things like that. Uh I was in a commercial. It's a, there's a chain here in in Canada called Boston Pizza. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, uh, John Ratzenberger who played Cliff Clavin on, on yeah. Cheers did this commercial. And so I was in that, com- in a commercial with him Oh, nice! and, uh, I had to listen to, to him say, come and get it all with Boston pizza, uh, <laughs> like so many times. <laughs> but, uh, I was on screen for probably three, four seconds before he holds up a menu right in front of my face. <laughs> so classic Cliff. <laughs> acting kind of wasn't the thing for me so well, i got, ended up you got ryan reynolds and jim carrey taking up all the good roles yep yeah exactly so i ended up behind the camera doing uh locations and a little bit of assistant directing uh, i worked on wicker man oh <laughs> i'm really, really sorry <laughs> wait the nicholas cage one i did yeah nice yep, yeah i i got to hear him yell about the bees and nice. Ask how it got burned and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really fun. So have you always done like freelance? Because I see you also, you also authored a book. So have you just kind of done a lot of freelance work in the entertainment industry or if you have other day jobs along the way? Oh my gosh. I've had so many. Well, I was in security when I was taking acting classes. So uh, that was a whole other ball of wax. That was an interesting thing. Um, You know, doing security and, uh, all these places all over Vancouver and the lower mainland here. And, uh, I was in mobile security, so I got to drive around and would have to check the doors of places. But one place that I had to go, uh, a lot was, uh, an old abandoned, uh, mental institution. And, uh, let's just say that place at night was not, not exactly the most fun to be in alone. I mean, I'm not a tall, big guy, so I was really happy to have my, uh, uh, six cell uh, mag light with me so I could <laughs> clunk somebody. <laughs> if I I say, you, you guys in Canada, not real big on guns up there. What does a security <laughs> guard carry? A, a flashlight? A flashlight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, That's exactly it. <laughs> and, and I'm glad to hear that you felt very empowered with your, I mean, yeah. a six, a six a cell. Uh, that, yeah. 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 <laughs> a six D uh, mag light. That'll, that'll, that'll break a skull. Yeah, it definitely would. Um, I had an instance uh, when uh, I caught a guy stripping cars in a parking lot in a parking garage. And uh, I, you know, I saw a lug nut roll out from behind this car. I, I think he knew I was coming, so he was trying to be quiet. But, you know, a lug nut got away from him. Right. And uh, so I went around and I see this guy da- sort of hunkered down by this car with a with a tire to one side. And I held my flashlight on him and he stood up and he kept standing up and he kept, oh, no. <laughs> kept standing up and it was, uh, he was this massive guy. And I just showed him my, my mag light, you know, like, okay, I'm ready. I don't care how big you are. I'm ready. <laughs> and he actually jumped off the second floor of the, uh, parking garage and took off. Interestingly, right beside the car, he was stripping was uh, this uh, other car with his wallet open to his ID. (laughs) So I'm, I'm reading off who he is over the radio to uh, my dispatcher. Who's talking to the police 
they eventually caught him because they hung around at his car and he had to come back for it kind of thing. Right. But it turned out he was a uh, 6'9". Oh. And I wow. am I am 5'6". Yeah. So uh <laughs> and the, and the cops were like uh so you're the guy who who caught him and he ran away from you? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, yeah. Not, that around, was me. not away from me, but uh, he ran away from my old trusty 60 <laughs> maglite. That's exactly. what he was afraid of. Exactly. Good thing criminals are dumb. Most are, yeah. They tend not to think they are, which is interesting, but Oh, that's the that's, that's the best yeah. part ever of of listening to a police interview of a real sociopath is they always think they're the smartest one in the room, and they mm-hmm. rarely are. Mm-hmm. It's, right. it's always, yeah, I've seen so many times where they're just, oh, I clearly have. And they have no idea that they're just tying themselves into a knot while they're, while they're being interviewed. So you wrote, you wrote a book called Murder, Madness, and Mayhem, mm-hmm. 25 Tales of True Crime and Dark History. Yeah. Uh, when, did you, when did you publish that? That was, it came out during the pandemic, so 2021. Uh, so I, I've never had a book launch and all that kind of stuff. It was uh-huh. actually, uh, I had no plans to write a book. I got an email from HarperCollins Canada, an editor there, uh, saying, would you like to write a book? And I thought, okay, this person is scamming me somehow. Uh, what is, what's going on? So I emailed her back and I, I said, you know, you need to prove who you are. You know, <laughs> we need to, <laughs> you know, yeah. have a conversation. And and she said, yeah, I'm not, I'm not conning you. I just have listened to your podcast and I think you're a decent writer. And I was wondering if you want to write a book and that's how it came to me. And, you know, I ended up writing this book for one of the biggest publishers in Canada. That's great. That's, that's yeah. amazing. That it, it is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I see years ago, I had a publisher reach out to me because they listened to the podcast and said, mm-hmm. I should write a book. And I stupidly said, who wants to read anything I write? And that was the end of the conversation for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I never, never pursued it any further than that. Um, but, uh, but you went ahead and did it. And has it been pretty successful? It's been so successful. I'm writing a second book. So that's uh, great. That's <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It was a bestseller on uh, the Globe and Mail, um, which is the big Canadian newspaper at least for a week, it was on the bestseller list That's awesome. right after it launched. So, well, congratulations. You did that. And, and you've been doing this podcast, Dark Poutine, since 2017. Yep. Uh, but you also have another show um, called Supernatural Circumstances. So That's re- right. Real briefly, tell us about that one. That one is it's you and it's co hosted with uh, Morgan Knudsen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You were not going to get that one, Bob. <laughs> no. Of course no. I wasn't going to get it. You, could, you, could, you couldn't have sounded it out for me? Oh, no, because yeah. I didn't know it. <laughs> yeah, the first time I said it, I said it incorrectly too. But um, she, uh, because I cover true crime and dark history on Dark Poutine, I've left myself a little bit of room to do more uh, like stuff like Bigfoot and cover the odd ghost and, uh-huh. and that kind of thing. Uh, so I had Morgan on to talk about uh, the Great Amherst Mystery, which is a ghost story from Nova Scotia where I was born. And uh, she, you know, does haunted hospitals, paranormal nine one one on television. So I, I just reached out to her and, and said, "Hey, do you want to be on my podcast?" She said, "Yes." And we clicked right away when we were recording. And uh, and I always kind of thought, well, "Yeah, we should do something together." And then one day she said, "I want to do a podcast." 
would you do a podcast with me? And I said, sure, let's plan this thing. And, and we started planning it. We're just today we released, so it's March 13th. We released our last episode of season one. And in April 24th, we're starting with season two, new music, a little bit of a refresh, a little bit of a, we're going to warm it up a little bit. It, it can be a little nerdy and, and very technical paranormally. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of really great guests on the show who are big names in the, in the paranormal world. I'm kind of the skeptic. I'm the guy on the, sh on the show who's like, I have no idea what any of this stuff is. You, you tell me this story and I'll, I'll comment on it kind of yeah. thing. And I've learned so many cool things. It's really, really fun. I'm having a great time with it. My current co-host is uh, Matthew Stockton, and he's a guy who was, uh, has been a friend of mine for quite some time. And uh, when he met me, he had no idea that I had a podcast. And uh, he saw dark poutine on the back of my phone, like a sticker. And he said, oh, do you own a poutinery? Is that a thing? Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, is that what they call them? A poutinery? That is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So oh. it's a place that specializes in Erica, poutine. We should open up we a poutinery. Okay. Yeah. I already have an idea. It's going to be a brewery <laughs> yeah. and a poutinery. Right. Write that down. Okay. Sorry. Come Mike, to Vancouver <laughs> and I'll take you to a poutinery. I, absolutely. Booking a flight. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he said, do you own a poutinery? And I said, no, I do a true crime podcast and I explain the name like I explained it to you. He was like, oh, I'm going to give a listen to that. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, we met up again and he's like, I've been listening to your show nonstop. I really love it. If that other guy who you have the co-hosting with you ever leaves, I'd love to do the show. And I thought, yeah, at the time it was like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. Then comes the creative differences and <laughs> yeah, when it, when it actually happened, I just thought, well, Matthew said he wanted to do the show with me. So I, I challenged him on, it. I said, you really want to do that? And he said, sure. So he's been doing it ever since. That's great. It's the same type of format where you're, you're kind of telling the stories and mm -hmm. he's kind of learning about the, the case yeah. or the story from you. Matthew engages a little more than, uh, than Scott did. Um, Scott, Scott was he was a great co-host. He did a, a great job, but Matthew is more, he involves himself more in the story and, and that kind of thing. So it's, it's kind of, kind of fun and it takes a little bit of the, a little bit of the heavy lifting away. Yeah. Yeah. It's always nice to have somebody on with you that, that speaks. We had, I had, and we had, a, we had a, a beautiful departure. He's one of my best friends. Is that like, but, was that uh, a dig, Bob? Was that a dig? Were you trying to say something? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was turning it towards Mike, my old. Uh, oh, okay. So, yeah, Mike used to, to, he was our producer and I had him sit in to, to co-host our follow-up episodes on Truth and Justice. And, uh -huh. and God bless the kid. I mean, nicest guy, great guy, love him to death hated talk i mean it was like pulling teeth to go so much so we would get emails all the time for people like you need to let mike talk more i'm like are you freaking kidding me like i'm <laughs> begging him to talk and he doesn't want to right he's, he's not a talker and so then when he left then we we had janet varney to join us and she has no problem talking at all <laughs> janet's probably listening right now hi janet we love you because <laughs> we needed somebody who actually spoke on the show so it was a confidence thing for me to have a co-host at first. Like I, I, I needed that sort of security blanket, you know, yeah. I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell a story and I need an audience mm -hmm. because I just didn't want to be just speaking into this 
giant ball all by myself. <laughs> giant giant basketball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Dark Poutine, you started it on Halloween 2017. And so far you've done over 250 episodes. You cover true crime, dark history, and as Erica puts it, other creepy stuff. How did you get to the get to the idea of creating a podcast? Did you just have an interest in it and develop the idea? Did you have the idea and that turned into a podcast? Well, I I obviously listen to a lot of podcasts. That's usually how people get interested in them. But true crime has always been an interest of mine. Uh, back in Nova Scotia, my grandmother read a lot of uh, Max Haynes, who's a Canadian Nova Scotia Nova Scotian Canadian writer of true crime. And he did these little stories in the newspaper about different true crime stories throughout history. And she loved that and would share them with me kind of thing when I was a little kid. And so I would read those true crime, (laughs) true crime things. Then, um, and this is, I was pretty young when that actually started, but around the same time, uh, I was 11 years old and somebody, I was walking home from uh, a hockey game with my friends. Of course, I'm Canadian, so I'd be out playing. It was ball hockey because it was the summertime. Playing hockey, eating poutine. Yeah, exactly yeah. that kind of stuff. But I'm 11 and, I'm, and I was walking home and uh, I noticed somebody following me. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, that person tried to abduct me and sexually assault me. So he got away. Uh, we never found out who it was for a number of years, uh, through a weird series of events, I ended up learning this man's name. Interestingly, uh, a girlfriend who I had when I was 23, she had been, uh, sexually assaulted, abused by her uncle for years. And she was showing me her family photo album. And there's a picture of her uncle. And right beside her uncle is the guy who assaulted me. And that's how I learned his name. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Was it, does, does Canada have like statute of limitations like we have here in the States where was it past the point anything could be done about it? Well, it, it was like, I, I, so I was 23 and I thought, you know, okay, so I know his name, big deal. But uh, years later, it's just was bothering me. You know, it started to bother me. And so I went to the RCMP and had a conversation with them and they said, no, absolutely. We can, we can deal with this guy. So the problem was, uh, my hometown police, they, when they got involved, they did a picture, a photo lineup with me and they provided a bunch of photos of people who didn't look anything like what I remembered this guy to look like. Mm-hmm. The reason being is they gave me a photo, which in, photo lineup, which included this gentleman 20 years later. Oh, okay. You know, rather than providing me a photo uh, of him at the time, which I would have recognized immediately, mm-hmm. they gave me a photo lineup that included, you know, all these old men. Mm-hmm. So I was unable to identify him. I know which one it was uh, uh-huh. because I was sort of wishy-washy about, I think it might be this guy. And, but they said, unless I was a hundred percent sure they couldn't do anything. So once, you know, after I had been unable to identify the guy, they said, yes, we've been aware of him for years and he's been somebody who has been involved with us for this particular thing before. So, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't get a real resolution, uh, sure. but uh, I told this story 
my story in detail in episode 10 of the show. And uh, a lot of people have heard it and have given me some great feedback. Some people have said my honesty and my candor about it has helped them to come forward to go to the police and that kind of thing. And some, uh, I've had a couple who have said, yes, this person is being prosecuted now. So maybe, you know, sharing my, my story was the right thing to do. And I also yeah. do, uh, a, a thing with the Edmonton police. One of the members of the sexual assault team on the Edmonton police heard my story on the podcast and, and she reached out to me. And now every six months when they have, uh, a seminar on sexual assault, I tell my story. Or if I'm kind of not in the right headspace emotionally, mm -hmm. they'll just play that episode of the podcast about how uh, there was a lot of police failure at the time and uh, investigative faux pas and, and dealing with children. Uh, mm -hmm. For example, I was never interviewed face to face by a police officer after the night that it happened. Uh, they did it over the phone. There was another instance where I was brought in to look at a guy through two-way or one-way glass. And on the way out, after saying, well, that's not the guy, for some reason, myself and the police officer with me and that person and the police officer with him were all leaving in the same hallway at the same time. Oh, and no. so this guy's pointing, saying, I don't know that effing kid, blah, blah, blah. I didn't touch him. You know, so I met another predator, apparently, that mm -hmm. I didn't have to meet when I was 11 years old. Right. So. Well, it's too bad, but it's, it's great that you're, you're, you've told the story now, especially if it's encouraging other people to come out and the, and the work you're doing with the police department. That's, that, that's fantastic. It's, it's, I've never experienced that, so I can't know what it's, what it's like, but I know that, you know, for so many survivors, the hardest thing to do is even not, not even to just tell their story like you are, but just, just to tell their story to the police or a parent or a loved one. And I, it just seems to me that it's very, it, it's helpful and encouraging to hear other people to tell their story, to let them know that it's okay to share their story. Absolutely. It was actually Jim Clemente uh, telling his story mm -hmm. uh, that prompted me to tell mine. I, I heard his story on their podcast, uh, Real Crime Profile. Mm -hmm. And, and I thought, wow, you know, like what, what a lot of courage that took. And, how he's turned what happened to him into such a positive thing yeah. where he's helped so many people. And yeah, so I, I, I thanked him personally at CrimeCon uh, when I met him the first time. So it was an interesting experience, but I am so grateful that I did that, that that's out there and uh, it's still, you know, there for people to find and, and listen to and, and that kind of thing. So and, and Jim, Jim is absolutely amazing. He's such a great, he's actually a, a close personal friend of mine. Uh, I'd love, I'd love Jim like a brother. I mean, he is, he's the best and he does, it is amazing that he has turned his tragedy. I mean, for him that he's going to go out and, and he became a prosecutor and then an FBI agent to go right. to, you know, with a huge focus in stopping these predators from doing what happened to him to other people. And prosecuting his own. Yeah, the best part about it is when he got into a position and prosecuted the predator that that assaulted him. I mean, it's it's an amazing story. I could go on about Jim all day. Yeah. Before, <laughs> well, not before. It's instead of doing that, 
Uh, I do want to shift over because we want I want our our audience to get a little taste of of your your storytelling, and we're going to talk a little bit today, real briefly, about uh, the case of Clifford Olson, who's known as the Beast of BC. Um, and for the full story, there are there's two part uh, two part series on your show called the Beast of BC, parts one and two, to hear the whole the whole story. But I'll let you take it away. This was a a, a serial killer right there in British Columbia, where you are now. Yeah. So. The reason that I wanted to cover the Clifford Olson story was because um, it was literally two weeks after I had had my personal experience. This gentleman was caught here in British Columbia after having killed 11 children, mm-hmm. um, mostly boys, mm-hmm. uh, but some girls as well. And uh, his story is just this it's a really, really crazy story. I mean, he was he, he was from here in, in Surrey. He lived here in Surrey. I, I drive by places that he haunted. Uh, one of the uh, motels that he took a child from, uh, the Bonanza Motel, is still over on King George Boulevard here. And every time I drive by there, I think about it. And in that situation, uh, you know, kid leaves their grandmother's uh, suite where she was living with her grandma. And just never came home. And her bike was later found behind the veterinary hospital across the street. Uh, and her body was later found uh, close to a river. So Olson was one of these guys who was a career criminal, um, a terrible person. He, uh, uh, Stanley Semrau, who was a, f- a famous Canadian uh, criminal psych or forensic psychologist or psychiatrist, he applied the PCLR, which is a psychopath test to Olson, and found that Clifford Olson, out of a score of 40, had a 38 mm-hmm. on the uh, PCLR. And, and Semrau has said, that is the highest score that I've ever seen in any human being. Yeah. And it is, you know, uh, it's higher than 99.7% of all people who are deemed to be psychopathic. So this guy was crazy. Mm-hmm. Because the RCMP wanted to find out where all the bodies were buried after he was captured, they did a deal with him that they paid him $100,000 for each body. That's so yeah, it's, crazy. It is insane. So uh, a lot of Canadians are, are really unhappy with that when, when they hear about how that happened, but people do understand that families wanted closure and, and that kind of thing. So at the same time, it's worth it for some of those people. Oh, or sorry, it was $10,000 a body. It ended up being $110,000 roughly. They, they had caught him for one murder and then he agreed to a plea deal where, mm-hmm. where cause of course all these families want to know what happened to their children where he says he'll, he'll confess and yeah. tell them where the bodies are at of all 10 of them. And what was it, like $100,000 got put into like a trust for his wife and kid? His wife and kid, yeah. So, I mean, he, he didn't stop once he was in jail. Once he was in jail, he, uh, he was very litigious, often going, again, going after the corrections. Uh, you know, mm. if his cell was too cold, he would sue kind of thing. Like all of this, all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did send uh, very detailed letters to the family members of these victims about what he had done to them. So, you know, 
what a guy. Yeah. And did, did I read correctly, too, that he escaped from jail like seven times? Yeah. Yeah. He was known for being uh, being able to get away to escape. I mean, uh, a friend of mine, uh, he became a painter on the X-Files because X-Files was filmed here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but early in his life, he was uh, he was having a rough time uh, as a young person and he was looking for work and around an employment office and he was approached by this man who said are are you looking for work i've got some work painting houses if you want to go paint a house with me and so my buddy pete decides okay yeah this sounds great I'm, that's what i'm i'm doing here that's what i'm doing at this employment agency i'm looking for work so he walks with this guy and he starts to get this awful feeling and uh the minute he put his hand on the door handle of the guy's car, something just told him, run, do not get in this car. Mm-hmm. And he didn't get in the car and the person turned out to be Clifford Olson. Oh, so, wow. yeah. So I, I, you know, Canada's uh, an interesting place. We have a, it's a, it's a big country as far as <laughs> size, mm-hmm. but you know, we have the tent. A tenth of the people that you folks have. Right. So the chances that you're going to run into somebody who knows somebody here in Canada are very high. So it's, it's really interesting. Like I've got all kinds of crazy connections to different cases and, and that kind of thing through friends or family or whatever. Yeah, that's wild. And thankfully this guy, Clifford Olson is not a Someone anybody has to worry about anymore because it was in 2011. He died in prison. Thank goodness he's finally gone and can't escape and torment anybody anymore. Right. And and there, this story is deep and dark and complex. It is there. Those 11 victims all were murdered in a span of two years. Yeah. It was like less. It was within because it was what like. September 80 to 81. Yeah. But like, it wasn't even like the full calendar year. I don't even think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and all of that gets unpacked in, uh, the two part episode, uh, the beast of BC. So check it out there for all the details. His name is Mike Brown and the podcast is called dark poutine. Check it out on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. There are over 250 episodes to binge on, so check it out. Could be your next big true crime binge. And Mike, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Bob and Erica. NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Kelly Barron's Brink. Our production manager and co-host is Erica Cantor. Music and show artwork was created by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com and episode artwork is created by John Hayes. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is truecrimebinge.com. 
If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. Make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. And thank you so much for listening. And make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.